Should the Oklahoma Sooners have an open quarterback competition? Maybe they should. We'll talk about that on tonight's episode of Locked On Sooners. You are Locked On Sooners, your daily podcast on the Oklahoma Sooners. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's up, Sooner Nation? Welcome to Locked On Sooners. Thank you for joining us. My name is John Williams. You can follow me on Twitter at John9Williams. My buddy here is Josh Helmer. You can follow him on Twitter at JoshOnRef. You can also hear him Monday through Friday from 9 to noon on 94.7 The Ref and Norman and Josh. We talked about last week the quarterback competition that's happening with the Texas Longhorns. And while I kind of fell on the side of, you know, it's good to have your starter known, well-known going into the offseason into spring ball they know who to follow we know who's at the lead there is a certain sentiment out there that believes that it's probably a good idea to have an open quarterback competition what do you think about that josh well if there's a little bit of uncertainty and you have a five-star quality quarterback coming in which you do in the case of texas with arch manning then i don't know that i have a, a huge problem with it i think for me and this is as we compare and contrast the Oklahoma and Texas situations, which some might argue aren't altogether that different, right? I would tend to, and maybe this is glass half full on my behalf, John, I tend to think Oklahoma's in a little bit better situation with its quarterback in Dylan Gabriel than maybe Texas feels they are in with Quinn Ewers, hence the fact that you're not really seeing Oklahoma make that public stance that we've got a legitimate quarterback battle happening in Norman versus Texas you you've seen Steve Sarkeesian already already go that route and say that they've got a quarterback battle so I guess it just sort of depends on honestly what you have coming back in the situation that you think you have coming back and I think Oklahoma's pretty comfortable with what it has coming back with again the top production guy coming back among Big 12 passers and Dylan Gabriel. Do we have to run down the stats for you again? Over 3,100 passing yards last season, 25 touchdowns against six picks. So I'm not against competition for competition's sake, John. But when I think about Oklahoma, to me, at least right now today, now this could evolve and it could change as we go throughout the spring. If Arnold, remember Brent Venables very quickly said, yeah, Jackson Arnold's at the back of the line, back of the class right now, but he's not going to stay there. So if it evolves and changes throughout the spring, then so be it. And at that moment say, Hey, we got a legitimate quarterback competition, but I kind of look at it and if Brent Venables and if Jeff Levy and if everybody from Oklahoma right now today, John came out and said, Hey, we've got a quarterback competition. I would say, eh, no, you don't. I'm going to argue with myself a little bit from this past week and argue for why they need to have a quarterback competition. Listen, Dylan Gabriel was pretty good last year, but there were a lot of moments. And part of that being the third down issues, the red zone issues that we saw with this offense that did leave a lot to be desired. And so if you do think that Jackson Arnold is the future, you do think that he is kind of the second coming here at quarterback, then why not allow things to naturally evolve and see where they take you as the, over the course of the off season, you got competition everywhere else, right? You got competition along the offensive line. 
You got competition on the defensive line, wide receiver, cornerback, safety, linebacker. Why not the most important position on the field? I mean, if Jackson Arnold is as good as everybody thinks he is, then there's a good chance that he could assert himself into a quarterback competition as the spring evolves, as they get into summer ball, fall camp, things of that nature. He is a really good player. He is a really good quarterback. And what this reminds me of a little bit is when Dak Prescott came into the NFL back in 2016. Dallas Cowboys fans, so that's the thing I can most closely relate it to. He came in. Now, he was a fourth-round pick. He wasn't a five-star quarterback coming in to, to the situation that Oklahoma has where they have a solid quarterback in Dylan Gabriel. Now, the Dallas Cowboys back in 2016 had Tony Romo. Dak Prescott starts off as the fourth quarterback on the depth chart behind Kellen Moore of Boise State fame, former offensive coordinator of the Cowboys, now at the San Diego Chargers, sorry, Los Angeles Chargers. That's still so hard to remember. And Jamil Showers, who the Cowboys converted to safety not long after that. Tony Romo gets hurt in the preseason. Kellen Moore gets hurt in the preseason. Now you're forced into Dak Prescott as your starter in the preseason. Plays really well, opens the season as the starter. The rest is history. Takes Tony Romo's job, basically, and he never plays another down. Well, I guess he played in the finale against Philadelphia, but never starts another game for the, for the Cowboys. It's a little bit similar in that Jackson Arnold is kind of the the high potential, highly regarded quarterback. A lot of people love Dak Prescott coming out of Mississippi State. Didn't expect him to start right away. Similar situation. A lot of people love Jackson Arnold. Most, I would imagine, don't expect him to start right away. However, there is a scenario where he could work his way up the depth chart. I mean, I already think he's QB2. If he's not QB2, it's just for show. It's just to make him work and earn it. But he's definitely your second best quarterback if he's not your first best quarterback on the roster. So I don't see why they wouldn't necessarily have some competition. Competition is good. It breeds, you know, that competitiveness breeds everybody to to drive a little bit harder, work a little bit harder. And if, you know, it pushes Dylan Gabriel, then everybody's going to be better for it. Even if Dylan Gabriel does end up being the starter. If everybody's kind of all on equal plane, everything's equal. It's probably going to be Dylan Gabriel just based on the experience, but there's definitely a scenario where Jackson Arnold just comes in and he's just lights out from the get go and proves that he's ready to take the reins now. And to again, continue to compare and contrast maybe that Dallas Cowboys situation, which we're talking NFL versus college off the top. I I get that for anybody that's going to say, well, wait a second. That's not the same at all, but it took injury, as you you described there, really to open that door initially for Dak Prescott. And I don't think necessarily that it has to take that at Oklahoma for Jackson Arnold. I think that's the most likely, obviously, scenario to early playing time for Arnold is something happens in the way of Gabriel. If it's, you know, one game, one quarter, and all of a sudden Arnold comes in and he's great and the rest is history, as they say, and he takes a job and he never looks back. That's the most obvious path to early playing time. But I guess for me, when we pose this question, John, I look at it and I say, I don't mind that your head coach isn't coming out and saying, hey, there's this quarterback competition when he and his offensive coordinator and the offensive staff, 
don't go into the spring feeling like there's going to be a legitimate quarterback competition. If it happens, if it evolves that way throughout the spring to where this Arnold kid is that good because he's the five-star talent and you're seeing things happen in his command and understanding of just the, the verbiage, the, the play calls, everything of the offense is so advanced early, and oh, by the way, the talent matches that, then, then so be it. Say that there's a quarterback competition after the fact, but I don't mind for me, again, as we look at what has happened at Texas versus what's going on at Oklahoma, I don't mind that I feel like Oklahoma staff is being honest with me. And in some ways I come away from the Texas situation and I don't know if the Texas staff is being honest with me, John. It's very possible. I mean, Steve Sarkeesian could just be using this as a motivator for Quinn Ewers because I mean, but again, I also feel like the, the two quarterbacks had very different seasons. Dylan Gabriel, for the most part, was pretty good. Oklahoma's offense was really good, save for a few kind of key situations. The defense is what really let them down. I mean, again, they, the defense allowed almost 30 points per game. The offense scored you know, 35 points per game, and they lost several games where the offense scored 30 and the defense just gave up a bunch. So very different situations where I think Quinn Ewers was not as good uh, consistently throughout the season. But again, it was also his just first season starting uh, college football, which is crazy to think. I feel like he's been around for forever now. All right, coming up, we got some potential recruiting rankings from The Athletic. Our friends over there at The Athletic, they came out with their rankings of the teams with the best recruiting potential. We're going to talk about where Oklahoma landed and did it make sense? After I talked to you about Built Bar, Built Bar is the best tasting protein bar Ever. You'll never eat anything else like it. It's fantastic. It tastes great and it's great for you. Low calorie, low carbohydrates, low sugar, high in protein. You can get bars anywhere from 13 to 17 grams of protein, four or five grams of sugar. Again, a great balance for you. They got great flavors like the coconut brownie, the peanut butter brownie, coconut almond, mint brownie. I mean, some of my favorites right there, great granola bars as well. And the built puffs are fantastic. If you love marshmallow textured flavors, they have great flavors there. The granola bars are good as well. I love the granola bars. Kids love the granola bars. Everybody in my house loves Built Bar. Go check it out, Built.com. Use promo code LOCKED15. Get it also at Walmart or Sam's Club if you got one of those near you. Built.com, also LOCKED15. Get 15% off your next order over at Built.com. So, Josh, The Athletic, and I'm a big fan of The Athletic. I've been in a a subscriber to the athletic for years and years and years dating back to when we lived overseas and I just needed a sports fix. Athletic was a great resource for that, but the college football writers over there went through and they ranked their, or basically all of college football, uh, based on recruiting rankings or the top, what was the top 25, uh, teams, uh, based on recruiting potential. Um, sorry, the power five teams based on recruiting potential, excuse me. And the Oklahoma Sooners, they came in number 10. Now their highest vote was number seven. The lowest vote was number 12. And what Max Olson, the one who commented on Oklahoma really had to say was that it's the championship pedigree kind of sells itself. Oklahoma has had a lot of success, whether it's in the big 12 or on the national landscape, although they haven't had a national championship since 2000. They've played in several, they've played in several college football playoffs. So they've been at the top or near the top of the college football landscape for the better part of 25 years at this point. So what's interesting to me on this Oklahoma coming in 10 after having the number eight recruiting class and Brent Venables 
first two months on the job at Oklahoma and the number four recruiting class in the 2023 cycle is that they came in behind some teams that I don't think are recruiting as well as they are, namely USC. We can talk about Clemson. I mean, Clemson's kind of right there. Texas A&M had a really great 2022 class, but fell back in the 2021 cycle or sorry, 2023 cycle. So it is just fascinating to me. And I think a lot of what the college football writers over at the athletic are looking at in particular, when it comes to USC is Lincoln Riley's offense and Los Angeles, like Los Angeles being a big draw for kids uh, to come play football or the USC brand, but not a lot of talk about like winning on that front. So Josh, what do you make of this Oklahoma again, top 10. So it's not really disrespect, but I feel like they have a lot higher potential and we can talk about that in a second. Just give me your first initial thoughts on this. So this is strictly taking the recent recruiting data and saying, based on where they're at conference affiliation, you know, for Oklahoma, for instance, location to Texas, et cetera, et cetera. This is their potential as compared to every other college football team. This is not, this is not entirely results-based, right? This is a little bit of conjecture and projection moving forward. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's taking a big picture view at the power five and determining potential. Again, a lot of it is going to be very subjective analysis. Well, I think for Oklahoma, you do have to look at, especially the last couple of classes, when you start evaluating recruiting potential, Oklahoma will never, will never be at the top of the charts when it comes to location. It's, it's just not, Oklahoma's not positioned in the same way that the University of Texas is, or USC with Los Angeles is, or any of the Florida schools are in Florida, or Ohio State is, and even Michigan is in relation to Ohio. So there's that natural, natural regionality that Oklahoma, hey, you're close to Dallas, you're close to Houston, and you've made a long time living in the DFW era area specifically because of the championship tradition that uh, I think uh, Max talked about there. So that's proven that's there. I probably wouldn't rank Oklahoma. I mean, you can't rank Oklahoma top five. I don't even know if they would be top 10 based on just strictly regionality. They'd probably be a little bit further down the board than that. But when I throw some of that away and just look at what the results have been for the first Two months, as you said, for Brent Vittables on the job. And then one full recruiting cycle. Well, the proof is in the pudding that you take that and you compare it and you contrast it with what even Bob Stoops in the final decade or so of his run and what Lincoln Riley throughout the entirety of his Oklahoma tenure, what they, what they did, but what they also failed to do, John, was reach the type of heights that Brent Venables and this staff right now with one full recruiting cycle has reached. So I understand where you would make the argument, I guess this to make it more concise here in closing, I understand the argument that you could make against Oklahoma for regionality, but I'm also looking at just the, the results right here, right, right in front of our eyes and the results for Brent Venables right in front of us is look, the recruiting potential for Oklahoma save for maybe one or two programs right now in college football, John, it's as bright as anybody. And right now it looks like it's brighter than USC. 
Yeah, I think so too. Because you look at USC, and yes, he's going to be able to, able to recruit offense. But the narrative that's followed that that Lincoln Riley can't build a defense that's followed him to USC. And are they going to be able to turn it around? Yes, it was just one season out there in Los Angeles, but is he going to be able to turn that narrative around and turn it on its head? I don't know. He wasn't ever able to do it at Oklahoma, right? It was always still a struggle. So the offense will be great. They'll have really good offenses. They're going to probably have, I mean, Caleb Williams might be the first back-to-back Heisman winner since the seventies when Archie Griffin did it, but that's not the problem. That's never going to be the problem for Lincoln Riley. It's can they build a defense and one that's tough enough to withstand the Utah's the Oregon's and, you know, play in the college football playoff. Like, is it going to be that we'll see. Uh, and so I, that's kind of one of the teams I have a bit of a, a kind of question mark with as far as why Oklahoma would be behind them. But if you just go down the list, Josh, and you can tell me like where I should stop as far as where there's a question mark, but Georgia comes in at number one, Alabama, number two, Ohio state, number three, LSU four, Texas five. I have no complaint there. Texas regularly finishes above Oklahoma in recruiting rankings. That That's no question, but then you got USC, Texas A&M, Clemson, and Oregon. So let me tell you my problem with USC. I just told you my problem with USC. With Texas A&M, it's all based on Jimbo Fisher and the success he had at Florida State. Yeah, they recruited well in the 2022 cycle, but then they fell back into the teens in the 2023 cycle. They didn't follow that up. So where are they going to land this next cycle? I mean, that's that remains to be seen. And then they had a ton of dudes exit in the transfer portal. So I'm not buying necessarily that Texas A&M has better recruiting potential than Oklahoma, especially because Jimbo Fisher seems to be on the hot seat every single year in college station. Uh, And then comes Clemson, which, you know, listen, Dabo, excellent recruiter, but how well are they going to continue to be able to stockpile that defense without Brent Venables and Todd Bates and Miguel Chavis? That's a, that was a huge part of their national championship success was Brent Venables and Todd Bates. That's at Oklahoma now. Dabo will continue to recruit well, but he didn't have Brent Venables. And then you got Oregon. Dan Lanning had a great first season in, in Oregon with the Ducks. I think there's a lot of potential there. I think he can continue to build on that. But I don't necessarily think that aside from Nike, aside from being in the Pacific Northwest, there's a whole lot more potential than what Oklahoma Sooners have. Yeah, I don't think so either. You, you know, and ultimately it's uh, probably not a big difference between Oklahoma and some of these schools. We could make arguments for or against a lot of them. Uh, Texas A&M, when, when you talk about them, I, I do think that there's a really good chance that we record this show and not too many months from now, Jimbo Fisher's not the head coach. Yeah, we've, we've said and done that maybe uh, recently, but all of a sudden – the buyout, I think, drops another $9 million. You get one further year down the road, and uh, this would be the time to where all of a sudden some of that big money at A&M, I think, if it goes poorly again, would say, you know what, yeah, let's rip the Band-Aid off now, and that would hurt their potential. Uh, LSU, you know, location, okay, maybe closer to Georgia and Florida and all those things. I don't know that LSU's potential, to me, is any higher than Oklahoma's recruiting potential. I look at them on that list, and uh, I wouldn't have LSU definitively, in my mind, above Oklahoma. I I can see where they teeter-totter back and forth in various classes, but to me, whereas I look at, you know, Alabama, Georgia, Ohio State, Texas, 
those four I feel pretty comfortable more years than not maybe are going to rank in front of Oklahoma. I don't feel that way about LSU. Yeah, that's a that's definitely a fair argument against the Tigers. They they finished behind Oklahoma in the two four seven sports composite. So, I mean, Oklahoma's got a lot of great recruiting potential as well. Coming up, we're going to talk softball, basketball, hardwood stuff. First, Josh is going to talk to y'all about FanDuel. Ah, FanDuel, where you can make every moment more. FanDuel backslash locked on. That's the place to go. Where we're past that midway point. Actually, we're. Starting to approach the NBA playoff season, and right now is the perfect time to download FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. The uh, app, safe, secure, super easy to use. New customers. Doesn't have to be NBA for you. If you're an NHL fiend out there, you can you can get uh, getting, get to sliding around on the ice if you so choose. No sweat. First bet up to $1,000. Bonus bets back if your first bet doesn't win so don't miss your chance to get your no sweat first bet up to one thousand dollars in bonus bets when you go to fanduel.com backslash locked on that's fanduel.com backslash locked on to learn more make every moment more with fanduel an official sports betting partner of the nba so busy weekend in sooner athletics uh let's start here the ncaa women's tournament bracket officially unveiled Uh, Obviously, the stay in the Big 12 Women's Basketball Tournament, not as long as Oklahoma fans would have liked. They bow out, surprisingly, I would say, to uh, Iowa State. That, John, feels like it was proven to be costly for Oklahoma. The Sooners, not one of the top 16 seeds in the NCAA uh, women's bracket and just outside of it, just outside of for the second year under coach uh, Ginny Baranchek, hosting the first couple of games potentially inside the Lloyd Noble Center. Instead, they're a number five seed. How do you feel uh, about how things turned out for Oklahoma? What do you make of the draw? It feels like a fair draw for them. Um, It's unfortunate because they're a team that definitely could have beat Iowa State in the semifinals, and they played really well. I mean, they rebounded well. They they were playing good defense. They had more steals, fewer turnovers than the Cyclones. They just didn't shoot as well. I mean, the biggest difference – Iowa State made, what, four more free throws on the same amount of attempts, and Iowa State made two more threes on the same amount of three-point attempts. So just a little bit better, Oklahoma shooting the free throws, shooting the three ball, and potentially they win that game. But, uh, you know, Iowa State ends up the Big 12 champion or tournament champion. Um, Yeah, number five seed, I don't really have many qualms about that. Uh, It's a little bit of a bummer, uh, but – you go and you win a couple games and it doesn't matter if you can get out of the region, you know, or out of the, the Greenville regional sites, that'd be great. You know, I think there's a good chance that this team could make a sweet 16 based on their offense. If they can get hot, they're as tough to beat as anybody in the country. Now they'll have some difficult matchups along the way for sure. But I, I like Oklahoma to at least win their first round game and then have a really good chance at making the sweet 16. John, the big 12, as we, thought based on charlie cream's women's bracketology throughout the course of the year not really a ton of respect for the big 12 conference Uh, iowa state after the march to the big 12 tournament crown as uh you discussed just a number five seed in their own right oklahoma look they they don't accomplish what probably they needed to accomplish to feel comfortably in that position to host the first and second rounds but they could have still been 
one of the top 16, and that wouldn't have been altogether shocking if the uh, selection committee went that route. They don't. They give Oklahoma the five seed. How about Texas? Texas is a number four seed. So Texas is not within those top three lines either. So the uh, the Big 12, not a ton of love for the conference. Kansas, of course, did itself no favors in the Big 12 women's basketball tournament by losing a stinker in its uh, opening game to TCU. They were viewed as a bubble team. Kansas, based on that loss, doesn't get in. J.C. Hoyt's Oklahoma State Cowgirls, well, they're an eight seed. So, again, across the board, you look at how things played out for the Big 12 conference, and it's uh, it's not a ton of love for the Big 12. I look at uh, Oklahoma's path forward, too, and say, man, uh, if you can get out of Los Angeles into the Sweet 16, what a season that would be for Coach Baranchek because guess what's going to be awaiting you in the Sweet 16, John? What? the best team in women's college basketball, South Carolina, unbeaten South Carolina. It's going to be really, really difficult if you get into the Sweet 16. Barring a huge shock and Aaliyah Boston and company somehow doesn't make it there, I think they're getting past Norfolk State. I don't see South Florida or Marquette presenting any problems for South Carolina. So assuming Oklahoma can win a couple of games, boy, you're getting the – defending national champion you're getting undefeated south carolina you're getting a heck of a challenge in the sweet 16 but hey that's an opportunity for the you know even though it would be just a five over a one john unless something crazy happens somewhere else oklahoma's got a path to where they could potentially strike with the the biggest upset in the women's ncaa basketball tournament and and they've got the offense to be able to do that if they can get hot they can beat anybody if, especially if like Taylor Robertson can get hot from three. Now that's the trick. If you can get her open, get her shots, then she'll bury him and, and it'll give anybody fits. Uh, turn into the diamond. Let's stick with the women on the softball field. Josh, it was a 3-0 weekend in Starkville for the Oklahoma Sooners at the Bulldog Invitational. Uh, two run rule wins, two shutouts. Jordy Ball was perfect against Southeastern Louisiana. Uh, the Oklahoma Sooners beat Mississippi State in two games. The Omaha game got canceled due to uh, inclement weather. Uh, but again, just looking absolutely dominant out there on the diamond. Uh, in the second game against Mississippi State on Saturday, they had a nine-run second inning and looked like they were just going to run away with that one uh, before things kind of settled in and it became a 9-3 win for the Sooners. A great weekend. Uh, what else can you say anything specifically with the bats or with the arms that jumped out for you over the weekend that was yeah i mean the thing that's really jumping out is nicole may is still has not allowed a run i think she's up to 39 innings at this point um alex taraco has been probably arguably their best pitcher uh she's lowered her era to 0.24 um on the season and again she's you know, she uh, Jordy Ball was kind of getting hit up a little bit on Saturday against Mississippi State. Alex Straco came in, just allowed three hits over four innings, no walks, and then really shut the door on the Bulldogs. So again, a phenomenal you know outing for her. Jordy Ball again, great against Southeastern Louisiana. Struggles a little bit against Power Five competition uh, against uh, Mississippi State. So we'll just kind of see. I mean, it's you know her ERA is up over two. You know, last year she had an ERA just over one. Um, so it's hard to know exactly like our teams figuring her out. Is she just not as in control? It seems like the, the control is just not really there for her just yet, but she'll settle in. She'll figure this thing out. But then man, the bats dude. Jada Coleman is just on fire. Haley Lee's on fire. Um, Alyssa Brito as well. 
Uh, Brito just had a fen- phenomenal weekend. She went seven for 12 with two home runs, two doubles, six runs, and six RBIs. She raised her batting average 40.43 points, like from 386 to 429. Just a phenomenal weekend for her. And I mentioned Jada Coleman in Starkville. She hit 833. She had six walks, two doubles, five runs scored, two RBIs, and three stolen bases. I mean, I'm looking at Jada Coleman and she might be my favorite Oklahoma Sooner for national player of the year right now. Uh, And that includes, I mean, if we're talking just fielders because she's been fantastic, she's hitting 500. Her on-base percentage is almost 700. Just incredible performances by her. And and she's providing some power to go along with just the on-base prowess as well. Then as we shift on over to baseball, the Sooners starting to heat on up. We uh, we said that recently, and they kept it going. Uh, looked like looked like maybe they were going to cough one up against Houston, but give the uh, Sooners credit, they held on. They complete the sweep at Houston. Future uh, future Big Twelve member Houston that they complete the sweep over. Let's see. They had back to back three run innings late in this contest to in the sixth and the seventh, and then gave up the four runs in the eighth, but did just enough to hang on and get out of there again with the sweep. So now they turn their attention to a midweek date at Wichita State. That'll be uh, six o'clock on Tuesday. And then uh, TCU, Big 12 conference opener next weekend at L. Del Mitchell Park. Yeah. Oklahoma starting to heat up just as they get into Big 12 play. Good timing for them, but it's going to be a tough Wichita Wichita State team. That's a really good baseball program uh, up there. But that's going to do it for today's episode of Locked On Sooners. Make sure you're tuned in for the live show Monday night, 9 p.m. Central Time, uh, on the Locked On Sooners YouTube channel. Go follow Josh on Twitter at Josh on Ref, myself at John Nine Williams, and follow the show at Locked On Sooners. We're also on Facebook, Locked On Sooners Podcast. But until next time, he's Josh Helmer. I'm John Williams. We'll talk to you then. Boomer Sooner.